Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Turn your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Romans, chapter 14. The book of Romans, chapter 14. We're going to be reading together verses 13 through verse 18. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. No, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything is to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let's pray together. My gracious Lord, we thank you that uh, by your grace and your grace alone that we stand before you this day people uh, undeserving, unredeemed, rebellious, inclined to turn our own way and to do our own thing. Yet, Lord, because of your great mercy that we have sung about and even this day, that you've enabled us to come before your throne and to worship your holy name, and Lord, to stand cleansed and purified through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as we consider this passage this day, I ask that by your spirit that you would teach us and lead us into all truth. That you would help us understand what it means to not judge one another. That you would help us to understand what it means to, Lord, perhaps cause a brother in Christ whom we love and love dearly to somehow stumble before you. That we might understand, Father, that which is good and acceptable and pure in your sight. Lord, what it means to be fully convinced of that. So, Lord, as we now worship together in the study of your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, our thoughts and our understanding would be acceptable in your sight and that the power of your word, able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit and the bone and the marrow, would cause us to examine our own hearts and that thereby we might not just increase in knowledge, but that we might be transformed from glory to glory into the very image of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at uh, some key issues that um, Paul in the book of Romans here in chapter 14 uh, communicates to uh, the church at Rome and communicates to us today around the issues of convictions and conscience and Christian liberty. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I do know that Cindy and I have some pretty strong convictions about some things that are probably not shared by everyone in this church. Uh, For instance, uh, uh, probably won't surprise you, those of you who know me, that uh, uh, I'm not really comfortable with anything that looks like gambling, and uh, uh, even buying a lottery ticket. I'm, I'm the guy that uh, a few years ago uh, went into a full-service gas station. This was what, back when they had those things, and uh, they were having some promotional going on, and they handed me a, a, a newspaper. They must have looked at my profile and saw I had a, ki- a tie on, and they gave me a Wall Street Journal, and, uh, <laughs> and they, uh, the guy handed me a lottery ticket, and I looked at that, thought about that. Well, what if I won the lottery? I could, I could give it all to the church. But, you know, my spirit said, I, I don't feel good about that. It's just, that God is, uh, I'm given a, I have a conviction that's not right for me. And so I gave the guy the ticket back. 
And he kind of looks at me and says, are you crazy? You could have just given me millions of dollars. I said, that's okay. Uh, um, you know, use it wisely, but I, I can't accept that today. And he thought I was kind of weird. Uh, but the fact is that those kind of convictions, at least for me, uh, that conviction in particular is based somewhat on scriptural principles. But I, I can't stand here today and, and tell you that all games of chance for fun or any other purpose are absolutely in every case prohibited by scripture. There are some, I think, some, some principles we find in the book of Proverbs that would indicate that that's, we need to think carefully about that. Um, but my conviction is probably based more on my upbringing and uh, the values that were instilled in me uh, by my parents. And um, so it's uh, nonetheless strongly felt, uh, and I'm really uh, more comfortable just staying away from all forms of gambling. Um, I wouldn't feel right playing slot machines or even buying a lottery ticket, as I mentioned. So um, because to do so would, would violate my conscience, work against that which I'm pretty much convinced is not right for me. And... Um, you probably have uh, similar convictions about uh, some matters that are not shared by others in the church. Uh, we don't think all think this, the same way about a lot of things. And how we think about these differences and what we think about our fellow believers who hold differing views uh, is addressed in this passage here in Romans 14. But first, before I get into that, I want to say a couple things that I think I probably said before about that, things that, that uh, mark this church, Grace Church of Orange. Uh, our, first, our commitment to uh, the Word of God and the essential doctrines of the faith, uh, the deity of Christ, His sacrificial atonement for our sins, the er inerrancy of scriptures, the virgin birth, the second coming of Christ, salvation by grace and grace alone. Uh, these are non-negotiables that, that those who are members of this church, those who are committed to this church, uh, hold dear. They're the tenets of our faith. These are the doctrines that Paul had in mind when he told the, the young pastor, Timothy, uh, to fight the good fight, uh, keeping the faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and, and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. And Jude uh, urged the faithful to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. These are non-negotiables. They're core doctrines that ultimately, over the centuries, cost uh, millions of believers their very lives who suffered to stand for these beliefs. I thank God this church is firmly rooted and committed to the doctrines, the fundamentals of the faith, the non-negotiables. The second thing I'm thankful about this church is the unity that we find within this church, the unity of believers. I think it's a hallmark of Grace Church, although at times it's sorely tested. So this message is, is not aimed to fix any of those kind of things. Uh, but this passage in particular is one of the most practical in all of Scripture. It's a reminder that we can all easily and sometimes unknowingly fall into uh, unhealthy and ungodly attitudes. Uh, this passage calls, calls, them, uh, calls it judging. Judging towards our, our fellow believers over matters that are not essential. And the passage gives some very specific uh, direction on how to deal with these issues, these kinds of issues that we all face from time to time. So the Bible's very clear about a lot of things, and we've touched upon some of those, like keeping the commandments, like um, the need for patience and kindness and goodness and grace and purity in, in our living and true worship and forgiveness. But there are a lot of things in life, even for the Christians, that the Lord leaves for us to decide. They're wisdom decisions, wisdom based upon the principles and precepts of his words, and that are not in violation of those principles but they are in themselves morally neutral 
like what kind of car to drive or what color to paint the downstairs bath. I know that maybe in some of your homes that's really threatened your marriage. Uh, our, well, here's one that's closer to Grace, uh, church family, uh, whether we send our kids to public or private schools or whether we homeschool them and how we feel about, about doing that. And or for that matter, uh, what kind of movies to watch, if any, or, or whether we should buy stocks in companies that may support values that are contrary to our faith. Hmm. Well, these kind of choices that we're talking about are, are, are generally referred to as Christian liberties. Christian liberties. The newly uh, converted Jews uh, in the New Testament and the, in the new church um, especially struggled with these kinds of issues. Uh, for instance, early in his ministry, Peter, who was wont to get into all kinds of trouble, as you know, uh, was convinced that he should continue to observe Old Testament Jewish laws prohibiting um, eating certain kinds of meat. He was convinced that such eating was, was sinful. That's the way he was raised. That's what he was taught. And he really believed that he should continue that even after Christ died to set us free from uh, those, those kinds of restrictions. And it took a vision from God to show him that after Christ sacrificed on the cross, such dietary restrictions were, uh, were lifted. So we find that, if you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, um, Paul had uh, uh, gone in to uh, minister to uh, and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. This is a mystery that's been revealed to the early church that Gentiles could be saved too. And some of, his, some of the apostles took exception to that. And it says in verse 1, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God, <laughs> that uh, non-Jews could be saved. In verse 2, And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, that is, um, the, the Jews, took issue with him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. And I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered, heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times. And everything was drawn back up into the sky. And Paul realized that uh, he had a Christian liberty. He had freedom in Christ to eat meat that once was prohibited. But many Christians in the early church weren't there yet. Uh, they were still stuck in their old ceremonial law, and they weren't quite ready to give that up. Well, there, there are plenty of examples of... Um, those kinds of things, not necessarily based on, on uh, Old Testament law, but, but, but issues that are, um, can be divisive, that we feel strongly about. You can think of a lot on your own. I'm thinking uh, music styles. I'm thinking some folks here, uh, maybe of a younger generation, might think that Christian rock sounds pretty good. And others here are thinking, isn't that an oxymoron? Um, how about uh, Bible translations? Some might feel that, uh, that paraphrases are like never. I really feel strongly that we should only use literal translations of the Word of God. Um, how about drinking alcoholic beverages of any kind? 
Some might think a little wine once in a while is good for the stomach. After all, Paul told uh, Timothy that that was so. And others may say, never pass my lips. I feel really strongly about that. Let's not even talk about movies. Okay, just for a second. Um, is taking the name, uh, uh, the Lord's name in vain in a movie okay? I see some shaking of heads. Well, wait a minute. Some would say, yeah, if it's in context, that's the way people really talk. I've heard that. And others will say, why should I pay money to people to hear my Lord's name violated? Hmm. I, I think we ought to think about those things. And some of you have pretty strong convictions. Some don't have any convictions at all, and maybe you ought to think about that. Well, how about other things like um, rest on Sunday? Uh, a lot of folks probably don't have much concern about that these days, but I'll tell you, tell you in generations past, and even a few folks today feel very strongly that God has called us to rest on the Sabbath, and the New Testament Sabbath is Sunday for us, uh, and that we ought not to be engaged in work. Um, hmm. And, of course, um, I already mentioned gambling, but I tell you, I think I was a bit naive. Uh, I thought everybody felt pretty much Christians felt the way I felt about that. And, uh, but some years ago, I was absolutely shocked to find some uh, committed Christian friends didn't think a thing about heading off to Vegas and uh, hitting the blackjack tables or the roulette tables. I mean, I tell you, I just about fell over. How could you do that? What are you talking about? <laughs> But uh, they say, oh, it's just a form of entertainment. And, uh, you know, we spend money to go to a ball game. I have a limit on what I do. And I say, oh, okay, uh, that's fine, but don't invite me. Uh, you know? Uh, what about civil disobedience? I I is it okay to break the law in a communist country by smuggling in Bibles? I think so. And I think I'm fully convinced. But maybe some others aren't. Should I ask them to go ahead and do it anyway if they have the opportunity? What about uh, sensitivities regarding religious practices once followed by former um, Catholics or former Jews that may attend this church? Things that uh, we might say are pretty, uh, pretty okay, but remind them of their former method of, of, uh, of worship and their former religion that kind of like really bothers them. How do we deal with those kind of things? Um, I can think back, uh, I'll go back to my uh, youth and uh, our days in a very, very conservative church. And there were really big issues around convictions there. Maybe some of you grew up in churches like that. Like, uh, uh, these are big issues. Facial hair. If you had a beard, you couldn't sing in the choir. If your hair was down to your collar, forget it. You were in big trouble. Uh, that was for guys, by the way. Um, uh, how about dancing in any form? I don't, don't raise your hands, but how many of you were raised where you just didn't dance? I had to get a note from my mom, cannot do four square in gym class on rainy days, you know. I mean, that's the way it was, and that carries over today. Uh, not entirely, but sometimes even dancing at, at my daughter's wedding, I have to think, is this okay, is this okay? You know, I've got to think about it. Um, our card playing, oh my goodness. Um, some Christian friends recently were making fun of me because I didn't feel good about playing uh, um, uh, poker, and uh, they thought that was a lot of fun, and I said, well, I don't, uh, no, let's do something different. And so it goes. You guys get the idea. There's plenty of issues. We don't have to um, list all of them. You can have your own. In fact, you should be thinking about a few. And uh, let's look at what the Word of God says uh, about this this morning. But let me first say this, that sometimes, because of our convictions about non-essential matters, we can look down on or openly disapprove of the convictions of others around 
uh, morally neutral issues or, or issues that there's some debate about. Uh, Romans 14 calls this judging. And it can create resentment and confusion and guilt and sometimes even cause a brother or sister in the Lord to stumble, to sin. Fortunately, God in his infinite grace has given us this passage and um, some practical principles that we can use today to help us make wise choices about how we practice our liberties as Christians. First, a couple of definitions that we're going to come across in this passage that might be of help to you. Uh, this idea of the Christian liberty I've mentioned a couple times. It is a conviction about something, that something is acceptable before the Lord that is not explicitly approved or prohibited in Scripture. Scripture doesn't explicitly approve it, uh, or it doesn't, isn't prohibited. It's not even implicit. Uh, we have to make a judgment call about some of these issues. Uh, these are called Christian liberties, making those choices. In particular, there's a lot more to this. Time won't permit this morning. After all, I'm going to cover a big part of a whole chapter. <laughs> but uh, uh, for now, think of it that way. Uh, secondly, uh, the, this passage refers to a weaker brother. Now, a weaker brother is a, a fellow believer who is not convinced of a Christian liberty that you fully accept. Um, in particular, the passage refers to mature believers who are confident in their Christian liberties in contrast to newer or less mature believers who may have convictions that they have carried over from their non-believing past. So I hope that's not too complex, but uh, the idea is that uh, you feel or others affirm in you that you have a, a, a liberty that you exercise based upon your maturity in Christ and a deep understanding of the Word of God, and others don't share that point of view. Maybe they're newer in the faith. Maybe they're just as mature in the faith as you are, but they have a, they've come to a different conclusion. So you look at them as a weaker brother, and they may look at you as a weaker brother in some cases. Well, there are um, three central teachings of this passage. It's not all the teachings, but three that I want to look at this morning. And the first is that we are to accept fellow believers' differing views on non-essential matters. We are not to be judgmental in these matters. Not all convictions are absolute. Some seemingly important issues are non-essential. It's possible, it is possible, that some of us might actually be wrong on some things that seem really important to us. Or sometimes there simply isn't a wrong or a right. Now, let me just stop right here. Uh, We could mislabel things that are clearly unwholesome and unrighteous and put the label on them Christian liberty. It's really dangerous territory. And fellow brothers and, and sisters in the Lord are, are, are free to have conversations with one another about these kinds of issues, but we need to be careful and be discerning. Those who are leaders in this church, the elders in this church in particular, have a responsibility to call out those areas that are labeled Christian liberty, that in fact, no, the word of God's pretty clear on this one. So let's be careful about that. But let's look at the passage. Turn again, if you would, to Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Verse 3. The one who eats is, is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Well, this passage speaks of some believers who are convinced that eating meat offered to idols was sinful. 
And therefore, it was a sin because they violated their conscience if they did it. Now, some of our convictions may reveal a weakness in our faith. And this, and this works both ways. The one who thinks eating meat offered to idols is sinful should not judge the one who thinks that it's okay. Uh, After all, uh, those false gods don't even exist. On the other hand, the one who thinks it is okay should not judge the one who doesn't. Let's be careful both ways. Whatever position we take on issues of Christian liberty or in matters where there's no clear right answer, we must not judge one another. Again, this passage isn't talking about the vital, non, vital non-negotiables of the faith. And to be clear, by the way, verse 2 isn't suggesting that all vegetarians are weaker in faith. Okay? But it's saying this, that there are no scriptural reasons why all believers should be vegetarians. Okay? But some people may have a conviction that that's right for them. It may be based on what they believe scripture teaches. It may be based on a broader principle um, that, they, that they see and that's what they choose to do and we shouldn't be trying to convince vegetarians that have convictions about being a vegetarian to eat meat let alone eat meat offered to idols you guys get it I hope, I think you do verse 10, look down at verse 10 but you, why, why do you judge your brother or you again, why do you regard with content, your brother with contempt for we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God And it talks about it in verse uh, 11. Uh, For it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Let us not judge one another. Verse 12 is the key here. We have to someday give an account to God for those things that we label Christian liberty. I don't know about you, but I'd rather err on the side of of not going there and labeling something a, a liberty when I'm not completely sure about it. I'd like to really be careful about that because I've got to give an account to God of how I arrived at that conclusion. Hmm. Therefore, um, knowing that, verse 13, let's not judge one another anymore. Secondly, the second principle, whatever we believe about non-essential, it's important that we fully, are fully convinced it's what is right before the Lord. We need to be fully convinced. We, need, we should not be wimpy or nimby-pamby. Is that a word, phrase we use anymore? <laughs> about how we feel about these things. We need to be fully convinced. Look at verse 5. One person regards one day above another and another regards every day alike. And each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Look at verse 14. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything is unclean, to him it's unclean. This is a critical critical teaching in this passage the word of God if I believe something is not right and I'm convinced before the Lord that it's not right before the Lord it is not right not because it's absolutely or intrinsically not right necessarily though it may be but because I think it is and if I do it anyway I violate my conscience that's the principle if you think it's unclean to him it's unclean Look at verse 22. The faith which you have as your own conviction before God, happy is he who does not condemn himself himself in what he approves. How do you condemn yourself? By doing something that you feel you shouldn't be doing. It's called conscience. And if we keep on doing that, we sear our consciences, the word tells us. And And we no longer feel it. And we become weak in our faith. Verse um, 
Verse 22, let's see. Um, Happy is he, I've already read, happy is he who does not contemn himself and what he approves, verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. James puts it this way in James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Wisdom about Christian liberty would be a good thing to put in here. Who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For any of the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven um, and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's be convinced. Let's ask God for wisdom. Let's just not be uh, uh, flip about it, you know, and cavalier and say, oh, that's a Christian liberty, I'm going for it. No, let's ask God. God, give me wisdom. Help me be sensitive. Help me, help me to not just draw my own logical conclusions, but let me be like those Bereans. Let me search the scriptures daily to see if these things be true. Let me, let me really be a student of God's word. This is a really good reason to know God's word so we can be fully convinced, not in our own minds only, but aligned, our minds aligned with the very mind of Christ. Amen? Well, there's another important principle that we're going to get to in just a moment. Um, Look at verse 13. It says, Therefore, let us not judge uh, one another anymore now, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So what's a stumbling block? A stumbling block is something that we might do that tempts a brother in Christ to violate his or her conscience. A brother or sister in Christ to violate his or her conscience. Don't do something that would cause someone to say, hmm, Maybe I should go ahead and do that when, in fact, they're not convinced that that's the right thing to do. So this brings us to the third principle, principle number three. We have a responsibility to exercise extra care in acting on our Christian liberties, especially when fellow believers hold differing convictions. Sometimes we must be willing to give up a liberty we're convinced is perfectly okay. Verse 14. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. Verse 15, For because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. You get that? Don't let for you what is a good thing be spoken of as evil. Why? Because we allow a a good thing in our conscience, our conviction, to be right, to hurt a fellow believer. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So what does it mean to hurt another believer? Verse 15, because of food your brother is hurt. This isn't about uh, uh, hurting someone's feelings or causing them to experience some painful dissonance. Oh, we can't do that. Well, actually, we do need to be sensitive about that. But that's not what this is talking about. This is about another issue altogether, causing someone to be spiritually weakened by tempting them by our example to violate their conscience and cause them to stumble. I mean, let's suppose that um, you have a new believer over to your home for dinner. And that new believer is a former, a former Jew. And you know this person really um, is not quite ready to... Uh, to uh, have a ham sandwich, right? But what do you do? Uh, you decide you're going to fix uh, roast pork. And you, and you say, hey, come on. 
Well, they're, and they say, well, I'm not, I don't know about that. But you say, come on, come on. Now go for it. You, you're free in Christ. Well, they're not free yet. They, they don't know they're free. They are. But they still think that they need to abstain. But we talk them into it anyway. And in so doing, that new believer violates his or her conscience. And it's our responsibility before the Lord. Some years ago, I, I traveled to Russia, Russia with a close friend, a Christian leader of a well-known Christian organization. And our, t- our itinerary took us to this really remote little town uh, 600 miles north of Moscow. And uh, it was a really poor town. And um, our wonderful Christian host family there was obviously living hand-to-mouth. And it soon became apparent that they had scrimped and sacrificed so that they could prepare a special meal for their American guests in their home. I was really touched by it. You, could, you knew this was going on. And... Um, Along with that meal, at the end, they presented us with a glass of their homemade wine. Well, my ministry friend uh, recognized the importance of this special gift that they were going to give to us, and yet he politely and firmly declined to drink or even have a sip of the offered wine, even at the risk of offending that host family. And the reason was clear to me. Uh, My friend had made a vow not to drink any alcoholic beverage in connection with his ministry, and he would not break that vow. Now, I was equally convinced that drinking a little wine to honor our guests was going to be okay for me to do. And um, I, don't, uh, I didn't feel that there was any problem with that, especially for the sake of our new friends in Christ. Uh, it was well within my personal Christian convictions. And I could have really pressed, though, my friend to go ahead and drink the wine. Hey, Paul, don't, don't insult our guests. Come on. You realize what they've sacrificed for us? You can go for it this one time. Make an exception. And maybe he would have. And he would have been stricken in his conscience and violated his own conscience. Those are tough calls, aren't they? The kind of things that we need to think about and be really careful about. Verse 19 gives us some direction. So then we pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. Do not tear down... The work of God, verse 20, for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Clearly, we don't always have the right to exercise or engage in non-sinful action that would uh, cause a brother or sister in Christ to violate his or her, her conviction. Verse 21. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. It's good. It's good to give up a liberty that we feel perfectly okay about for the sake of our brother in Christ. Sometimes just because it bugs them, because it's offensive to them. Maybe it doesn't cause them to violate their conscience, but why go there? Why can't we just sacrifice some things sometimes for the sake of the feelings and care of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Um, The driving principle is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, to the extent possible, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Love should guide our willingness to sacrifice. And in particular, when it reaches the point where we might tempt someone to violate their conscience. Well, let me say this as I close this morning. There's a limit to this responsibility. We cannot modify our behavior for every conceivable situation, particularly for those who are not in our immediate circle of influence. We can't please everyone or avoid every possible offense outside the circle of our church, and sometimes even within the church, we need to exercise great wisdom and err on the side of too much than too little. And if you have any concern about that, you ought to seek counsel from one of the elders in the church. 
mature believer in the church say, hey, what do you feel about this? Is this, is this that? It's not all absolutely clear. And, and the final thought also on Christian liberty. It seems that today the pendulum has swung too far from the days of excessive legalism imposing spiritual requirements and particularly restrictions on other believers that are not explicit or implicit in Scripture. I think the pendulum might have swung just a little bit too far towards Christian liberty, whether by that name or more likely in, uh, to refer to these days as freedom in Christ. And uh, sometimes I have observed that it's become licensed for some things that are questionable or even explicitly contrary to Scripture. For instance, um, let me pick on some uh, crude language for a moment. I, I'm surprised to hear some things coming out of the mouths of believers in the name of Christian liberty that just don't sound quite right, folks. Don't sound like they're aligned with, aligned with Scripture. And I've got to be careful about judging Remember that first principle. But uh, as a leader in the church, uh, I have a responsibility to be discerning too. Uh, for instance, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 has some great, great direction here. Not advice, direction. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse gesturing, which is not fitting. You know, there's some clear scriptural principles about how we are to, how do we just speak. Let's be careful not about putting labels of freedom in Christ around things that Scripture gives us clear teaching or principles around. Simply proclaiming a behavior as Christian liberty without careful searching of Scripture weakens the believer and it weakens the church. Christian liberty is not about trampling upon that for which Christ died for. It's about living lives that are conformed to the very image of Christ. Living lives that are pure and honorable and righteous before our Lord. Choosing that which is right and pure before him, and not just grabbing that which we might be able to call a liberty. Let me leave you with this. Romans 14 again, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So today, give some thought about your Christian convictions. Are your liberties well-founded in Scripture? Are you sure they don't violate explicit or implicit biblical teaching? Likewise, are your personal behavior prohibitions well-founded and are you convinced about them? And are there any times you can think of when you exercise a Christian liberty that might be an offense to someone close to you? It might even cause them to stumble, to violate their own conscience. And would you be willing to give, up, to give that up if it was creating temptation for a brother or sister in Christ? These are thoughts that we should consider. I thank God for his word. May it apply to each of our hearts this day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. Pray that uh, again, Lord, that your word would settle in our hearts. And may your spirit teach us this day. Sort out those things which are clear and things that are a little confusing. Lord, may our conversation and our thoughts be acceptable and pleasing to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.